Hello. Do I do it? No. Oh. <laughs> Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warning. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. So I fucked up one more. Do we care? Was it ample warming? Yes, it was ample warming. That's that's cute. We'll leave it in. It's Tuesday, December 9th, 2014. This is issue number five. How are you doing, Dave? Good. I got one more cup of coffee before transitioning to eggnog because tis the season. Oh. Oh, is that how you do? You nog it all through the evening? Oh, man. So much nog. So and much I think I might be developing a minor lactose intolerance. I'm going to power through it like all good <laughs> nog lovers do. That's dedication to the holidays, my friend. Uh, That's true. I prefer to mull everything that I can get my hands on this time of year. So. Ooh, yes, yeah. that is good. So I will be mulling. Uh, let's dive right into our questions this week. We've got some good ones as well as a bunch of comic book adjacent news that we want to get into <laughs> i thought you're gonna be like as well as a bunch of not good ones <laughs> as well as a bunch of crappy ones no they're all great this week as they always are uh this email comes from bartley there's no location on this i didn't make this a requirement but guys if you want to send where you're writing from along i really like knowing uh especially when we found out a bunch of you are from Sweden. so uh, this is a two-part question for Bartley. First of all, he says, uh, I follow both Fighting in the War Room and Republic City Dispatch, which are the other podcasts that Dave and I do. Last episode, you spoke about how happy you were that Zack Snyder wasn't involved with Wonder Woman movie, but the thing that you miss is he is a producer on the movie. And when you were talking about the Marvel movie tones, you forgot about Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and how that was different. And Inhumans are not humans crossbred with Kree. They are humans experimented on by the Kree. Thanks for reading, I guess. And then uh, his second part is, with it announced that Zack Snyder is also producing Suicide Squad as well as Wonder Woman, it looks like WB is giving Zack Snyder a lot of control over there. DC movies. Just wanted to hear your thoughts about this. Thanks for reading. Uh, so I wanted to respond. First of all, we welcome corrections. So uh, thank you so much for writing in with those uh, your your feedback on that. Um, I have to disagree a bit on your take on the Winter Soldier, Bartley being extremely different in tone. I, I think... There are some differences, and I see where you're coming from, but all of the Marvel movies, I really do blend in a way to make them feel similar, even something that's supposed to be out there like Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, We're going to talk about Kree and the humans a little bit more later, but Dave does have some technical answers for you in this section here. Um, And in terms of weird tone things, though, I am curious to see – I know this isn't Marvel, but I am curious to see – what happens to the Ryan Reynolds Deadpool movie? Because that, to me, seems like the most outlier in terms of upcoming projects. Uh, it was just confirmed that Ryan Reynolds is going to be reprising his role as Deadpool in an upcoming standalone Deadpool movie. The test footage that we saw, the sample footage, just looks unlike most other comic book movies we're seeing, either from 
the uh, the DC universe, the Marvel universe, the X Men universe. It looks very strange, and I'm not wholly on board with it, but I am interested to see some such an outlier uh, come out. And the last thing that I want to say about this is in terms of Zack Snyder and the Suicide Squad, I have a lot of reservations about the Suicide Squad. And this has a lot to do (laughs) with (laughs) the casting news. And my approach here is a little weird because I'm coming from it as a fan of Arrow, the TV show, not at all attached to Suicide Squad as they're represented in the comics. So my introduction was through uh, the Arrow television show. I really loved that side episode that they did with the Suicide Squad. And the character of Deadshot especially has become one that I quite like in that universe. And the idea of Will Smith playing – like I just think I'm going to have to reboot my idea of who Deadshot is if Will Smith is playing him. Uh, so we've got Will Smith, Tom Hardy, Jared Leto, uh, Margot Robbie, Cara Delevingne. Like it's a, an interesting cast. They're obviously going for something. Oh, and Jai Courtney, who's the most boring actor ever. But they're obviously going <laughs> – He's his own punchline. <laughs> you don't need a joke. And Jai and Courtney. Jai Courtney. So anyway <laughs> um, – yeah, Suicide Squad, I have my reservations, but I'm interested to hear what you think, Dave. Um, uh, Suicide Squad, it, it could be interesting. The interesting thing, the most interesting thing that's developing about uh, DC's universe thus far is they're sort of beginning in the middle of it, as opposed to Marvel's, uh, well, I guess Marvel sort of is trying to retcon like they began in the middle of it, but they didn't really know they're going to have a film series. And once they did, they were like, quickly, we got to put Captain America in world war, world war two. So we don't have to go back there. And it sort of spent the time expanding and, you know, doing its comics things of filling in the continuity gaps. If from everything I've been hearing about Batman versus Superman, Dawn of justice, it's going to jump right in the middle of a whole bunch of stories. Uh, Batman's uh, probably the, primary one that is going to be big i'm trying to think about how to be non-spoilery about this he's older so that implies that a lot of things that happen to young batman and a lot of things that have become identified with batman uh with like the christopher nolan movies the whole solo batman era could have been passed and all the lessons he learned with all of his villains could have been passed and joker could be already in prison somewhere for doing something and you know batman could have already cleared that whole dichotomy part of his uh rogues gallery out of the way so it's gonna be really interesting to see suicide squad just sort of jump in with all these villains that are not going to be uh sort of announced in their own movies and instead taking this sort of spin-off aspect rather than the marvel-esque sort of building block to the team aspect so that being said if you're going to do that, you you could get away with having these big names in these like team off movies uh, if you pay a whole bunch of money and not necessarily have to commit to Jai Courtney having to hold a movie up as a singular villain or in his own film. I mean, and then if, if, you know, Will Smith's Deadshot is successful and he could get his own movie or he could pop up and every other movie is a villain or a member of the suicide squad. It's really, he could Loki it up. Like they're going to test all these he villains. Could Loki it up. Yeah. They're going to test all these villains. And then if, a if a Hiddleston emerges, that person could pop up who knows where. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be Jai Courtney, but, I'm, uh, but it, yeah, it could be Will Smith. Who is Jai Courtney playing again? Boomerang. Oh, right. 
who Joe who we who, recently yeah. saw in Flash versus Arrow, which we'll probably are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, we were talking about that. Oh yeah, we we're talking. Anyway, about that. I, anyway, to get to uh, I'm sorry, Bartley's answers uh, all technically correct uh, in his points. Um, the I did sort of forget about Winter Soldier in terms of tonally different. But uh, as Joanna sort of addressed, it wasn't that tonally different. And for me, it's different because I know the Rousseau brothers as directors, uh, they, you know, did the pilot and a whole bunch of episodes of like Community. And you know them from aping styles on that show where they go way overboard and commit to different tones uh, from week to week. And so Captain America was like a workmanlike adaptation of a 70s thriller to a, you know, Marvel production budget process. To me, something like Iron Man 3 is the tonal outlier of the Marvel series thus far because I feel like Shane Black brought so much of his Shane Blackiness to it, Uh, like the Christmas setting and sort of like the noir feeling and the graphical look of that and having to bring Tony Stark down to like his sort of base uh, 80s depressed Riggs level uh, before (laughs) building him back up. Um, Cree-wise, you're completely correct. I've just been misspeaking in terms of hybrids and whatnot. They just they were experimented on, and that that experiment had side effects. And I'm sure we'll be delving into a whole bunch of that uh, later on, maybe next week, maybe later on. And uh, as for Snyder being a producer on Wonder Woman and um, Suicide Squad, he's just the guy that is going to be producing everything. So we don't know if that's necessarily going to it uh, affect the story or if he's just sort of looking out for his movies because he has the big locking pieces of justice leagues part one and two but also the like title of producer is very nebulous uh, there's this guy named michael e uslan that is the producer on all the batman movies just because he bought the rights in 1989 and ever since then he's produced all the batman movies and so technically he's like a producer that's made billions and billions of dollars but all he really does is sort of shops the property around and allows talented people to buy it so uh, that's like the most hands-off and the most hands-on is Zack snyder basically already knows what these movies need to be in order to set up his magnum opus of justice league and he's gonna land on people like michelle mclaren and david Iyer to do more translations of a story through them rather than tell their own stories with these characters and we've talked about that before about Whedon being a shepherding creative force over at Marvel and Snyder being a shepherding creative force. It's unclear and it's always going to be unclear how much involvement they've had until we, you know, 20 years from now, Michelle McLaren writes her, you know, insider look at all the ways in which Snyder made her change Wonder Woman if he does or something like that. But for right now, it's going to be unclear because as Dave said, producer is such a nebulous credit that could come with any level of involvement. Yeah, if it's one of those things that you have to know, the good news is we will know because as soon as all these people go into retirement and they're making tons of money, like when Kevin Feige isn't working for Disney anymore, his life story about like, well, and then everyone said we were doing Planet Hulk is a book that I will buy <laughs> multiple copies of. Um, you know, so to run off that whole Wonder Woman question uh, straight into our next listener question, this comes from Rommel from Winnipeg, Canada, and he says, with a McLaren-tastic script development and directorial news for Wonder Woman, what do you think would be the story arc adapted for the big screen? I really, really hope it would be the most recent Brian Azzarello run for DC, though it may be a very, very tall order. Um, so just a quick bit of news, if in case you don't know, Jason Fuchs, who wrote... 
um, the Joe Wright pan that's coming out next summer with Hugh Jackman uh, has is has not been confirmed, but is very close to being confirmed to writing the Wonder Woman film. So while Michelle McLaren is involved in developing everything, you know, it is going to be Fuchs's first pass of the script if he does get this role. So that's that's going to be the tone that we're going to look at more than Michelle McLaren's input, I think. Um, but it, these scripts go through a million revisions, so who knows? I have no idea about any Wonder Woman stories, though, so I'm going to pass this on to Dave. Well, I'm not sure comic-wise what's going to fit in, but what I do know about the movie is there's a greenlit treatment, and that's what sort of is being given to people like Michelle McLaren or Fuchs to, to be like, do you want to be part of this? Um, I don't know the content of that treatment. There have been some rumors. Uh, the earliest rumor was that the first half of the movie would take place on Earl Island, and all the Amazons would have some sort of uh, island dispute amongst all the women. Then a man shows up and begs for help uh, from a different nation, and Wonder Woman goes with him. It's surprise, we're in America in the 1920s. Um, and then there are newer rumors about Batman versus Superman that suggest Lex Luthor will have a team tracking this woman seen in pictures from the 1880s, who hasn't 1800s, who hasn't aged, and that would be Wonder Woman. And like neither of those could be true, and uh, Wonder Woman could. Uh, I mean, a Wonder Woman movie could take place anywhere, especially like I was talking about if DC's just sort of letting these characters exist. It could be an origin thing. It could be a multiple time thing. Uh, And so I hope they go back and pull from some of the comic arts arcs because I'd rather them do that than uh, try their hand at uh, inventing a new great Wonder Woman story uh, out of whole cloth for this first time around. But uh, it is primarily a piece in a much bigger franchise. So with that rumor there, though it sounds like maybe the Wonder Woman film will be an origin story that is almost a prequel to Batman versus Superman. Is that possible? That sounds like it is very possible. Okay, yeah. That's interesting. And uh, I, I kind of like, it would be interesting for them to do a period piece, almost like their Captain America for for Wonder Woman's story. That would be fascinating. Yeah. She can be their their Doctor Who, their Time Lord. So it's going to be interesting to see if DC pollutes its own timeline with this, uh, like its own movie or story world timeline with uh, this new approach to events. With being like, so why is Clark uh, why Clark Kent's dad, Pa Kent, it was never like this. Must be like that rumored goddess island <laughs> that has been tra- traveling around ageless. Maybe we should uh, take you to a scientist. Well, I guess he, we knew he wasn't that smart because he didn't run away from a tornado. So, oh, hey. my God. Well, maybe Kevin Costner can go and record some like flashback scenes and they could just seed that in. Like, red, I bet Kevin then. Costner's way into the idea of being in Wonder Woman. <laughs> I bet Kevin Costner wants to play Pa Kent as much as possible because, yes. yeah, that was his finest hour for sure. Can he get on Krypton? <laughs> we'll get to Krypton. I'm excited to talk about that mess big huge mess uh all right but our next question comes from ben once again no location ahem and he says will there ever be a good swamp thing movie that both fans and normies uh which we do not necessarily co-endorse that term but fans and normies can like marvel has pulled off crazy but not too many others have when marvel said they were doing captain america movie i thought it wouldn't work and i was wrong Then I heard they were making Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I thought that could never work. I was wrong again. So now I trust Marvel until I see a terrible movie from them. 
uh, Thor 2. On the flip side, when I heard – that's my interjection, Thor 2. Uh, on the flip side, when I heard The Last Airbender, uh, I was shocked that Shyamalan put in Appa and Momo. These are non-human characters. I gave cr- Did he, though? <laughs> debate on other podcasts. I gave credit for the guts, but people didn't buy it. I'm not saying a flying bison ruined that movie, but it didn't help it too much. When I saw Green Lantern, I had to give them credit for adding a bunch of out-there ideas, but in the end, the movie sucked. Hellboy, Watchmen, and Constantine are movies that asked a lot from their audiences and worked for the most part. That's up for debate as well. But I would want a Swamp Thing movie to be better than these. Okay. So before we get into Dave's answer, I just want to tie this into a couple things that we want to talk about. First of all, it goes back to Dave's idea of Marvel doing a lot of the legwork to get the so-called normies ready for weird things in their film and television. Uh, this ties into what we're going to see coming up from Doctor Strange, which, by the way, just confirmed Benedict Cumberbatch in the lead, uh, which is full-on magic, which is different than what we've seen before. But hopefully by that point, everyone will be ready for that, having seen a dancing, talking tree. So um, the other thing is, in terms of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. Tonight, by all reports, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is supposed to drop a huge bomb. But as we've discussed on the podcast before, I think we already know what that bomb is. And it has to do with Kree and aliens and a certain lead character on that show being an alien. This podcast won't publish until tomorrow. So this that episode will already have aired. So I'm not really worried about spoilers. Plus, like I said, we've already kind of talked about it, I think, in the non-spoiler section. Dave has been doing a really good job educating me on Cree and educating you all and getting you ready for this. But I think a lot of people who don't have that information seeded in for them might be in for a bit of a shock, I guess, in this so-called winter finale of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And the showrunners have also mentioned how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to definitely tie into Age of Ultron. Um, and upcoming Marvel movies. And so I just think it's, yeah, getting us ready for aliens, getting us ready for Inhumans. How's the tie into Swamp Thing? It just means that more as all these shows and all these movies proliferate, people are getting better and better at accepting weird things. And we've already talked before about how Guardians of the Galaxy is not that weird. But I would imagine it's just the same as anyone picking up a comic book and maybe starting with a more straightforward one and then diving further and further into worlds and accepting weirder and weirder things. Uh, Like I said, this is something we've talked about before, but I I just think that that might be the key to the answer of, you know, something like a Swamp Thing movie. Dave? I think you're definitely right. And I think that not only is Marvel building its own for like aliens, but with DC starting, like I was saying, in the middle, like they're doing, and it's looking like they're doing it for their Vertigo universe as well. Uh, they might benefit from it. I'm referring to Guillermo del Toro's Dark Universe, uh, his Justice League Dark movie, that as of last report, I think includes Swamp Thing and Constantine and a whole bunch of different uh, weird, supernatural, darker uh, DC characters I would like them to exist in the same universe as the other dark DC property of Sandman. Uh, but we'll see if that comes or goes. Um, that is probably going to be our best shot at a movie for the fans and the normies. Normies I'm fine with, by the way. That's like muggles, mudbloods. Ooh, muggles. Bad, I like that good. better. <laughs> All right, good. Uh, so we'll stick with the muggles then to do our cross 
uh, literature to comic books. But yeah, I think that the Dark Universe might be the the next Swamp Thing movie. Wait, There's so a rec- sorry, quickly. Dark Universe isn't yeah. on our big, you know, layout. When do you do we have a time frame for that? Is it still theoretical? What is the deal with that project? Last week, Forbes broke uh, that uh, Guillermo del Toro had turned in his script draft to Warner Brothers. Cool. So they have it now. They just got to figure out what they want to do with it. And with Constantine sort of the show exploding, uh, but now there's no concerns about whether or not that script interferes with another money-making property. So chances are probably better now that it's going to happen. And then especially if you see stuff like Suicide Squad go, they're going to be like, yeah, give give me this other team of people who are willing to bend rules and might be good. And then that'll open things up. And then hopefully, yeah, then Swamp Thing will be back. Uh, The other thing I wanted to bring up is recently some uh, scanned pages of a Swamp Thing contract leaked uh, from the 80s which is really interesting that basically uh, showed that they sold the movie rights to future Swamp Thing storylines before like Alan Moore's really famous run. So they made a sequel uh, to the horrible Swamp Thing movie uh, in the 80s, early 90s called like Return of the Swamp Thing that was like ripping dialogue and situations directly out of Alan Moore's very successful run and like turning it into crap. So Swamp Thing's been hobbled uh, cinematically uh, from a really bad deal from before this was all a thing. So I wouldn't blame Swamp Thing so much as a like a character. He's just he's he's a victim of the corporation. (laughs) I want to swing back quickly to Suicide Squad, because what you said is really interesting to me in terms of this this Justice League dark idea, this this group of antiheroes which is also represented in the Suicide Squad. And it's it's a very smart thing that DC has done. And, and now I'm readjusting, immediately readjusting my take on Suicide Squad because I think we can all agree that Marvel's most popular hero is Tony Stark. And mm. maybe their most popular character is Loki. I could be tainted by the internet on that. But... Um, and so it is interesting in this world where everyone just wants to watch Breaking Bad and antiheroes galore that DC's the one that's really leaning into that with these let's watch these bad guys that we love to hate to love um, do their thing as a team well, sort of concept. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, hmm. I'm going to show a little bit of bias here towards a major comic house, but <laughs> DC's hero characters are not a lot more than heroes, like straight heroes. Like, even Batman, if you keep him going long enough in his own universe, he needs to keep taking on side people to teach them Batman lessons, or he builds a company (laughs) to teach the world Batman (laughs) lessons. And Superman keeps getting stuck in, like, this horrible spin where in order to create a real threat, he either needs to, like, face off against somebody that has unbelievably horrible powers or needs to be, like, kind of whiny and unsure of himself for some reason. And so you take the Marvel characters are like based off of insecurities to begin with, you know, like Hulk's, you can't control your rage. And Peter Parker's like, I'm a teenager. That's awkward. And I wish I could get the girl and be a hero. Plus, you know, avenge my uncle. Like those are all things that are built into what it means to be those heroes when it's just like so black and white that like my parents were shot by crime. So I hate crime. Then yeah, the villains are going to be more interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating. I love, okay. Sorry. 
<laughs> well, no, it's interesting to look at the two houses as a whole and their whole aesthetic and how very different they are despite coexisting in this uh, same media for, for so long together, but that they have kept their distinct identities is so interesting to me. So. Yeah. Well, and it's also interesting because this is the product of multiple writers being on these characters because if it had like one person doing, you know, a whiny Superman then maybe I'd be like, okay, that's cool. That's that one person's interpretation of what Superman should be. But it's when you're passing these characters back and forth between goals with like different story things. And the only base thing you're working off of is, you know, Superman is Clark Kent and his acquaintances are these and he could do anything. It's like, that's not enough constraints. That's like saying, uh, what is it that on the Harmontown documentary they talked about Porky Pig's main only characteristic being that he stutters. And it's like, that's not a character. Yeah. That's, a, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. And occasionally these superheroes, because they're, you know, they're from a time where they didn't need to be anything more than that thing. They're just that thing. That's so interesting. They're, they're green. They're green hornet. Um, but don't worry. It, it wasn't, it's not like we had any doubts about which house you had to bias towards Marvel versus DC. Dave, we, we know. We know Maybe I, you're all in for I Marvel. Always, I always want to be turned around, but, you know, until not then. until 2019 or whatever <laughs> at this point. Uh, all right. Our next question comes from uh, Shan from Vancouver, and he says, who do you think are some of the best non-canonical additions to comic adaptation? It's okay if they're later, later incorporated into comics canon later for the purposes of this question. So he's referring to, like, Agent Coulson on S.H.I.E.L.D. and in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Chloe Sullivan on Smallville, Daryl Dixon on The Walking Dead, Harley Quinn on Batman the Animated Series, and some of these characters were then later integrated into the comics. And it's a really good question i think um i'm going to cheat and steal my answer uh from a buzzfeed article actually i think i've referenced this before on the podcast but this is an article on buzzfeed called the man at the center of dc's tv multiverse and it's about jeff johns who is sort of the kevin feige of of dc and he's talking about john diggle on arrow and he says, Oliver Queen doesn't have a ton of supporting characters in the comics, so to suddenly have John Diggle is great. David Ramsey is an unbelievable actor, one of the most professional people I've ever worked with, and the character is written so well that Diggle just quickly became a permanent fixture on the show. I mean, you can't even imagine the series without him. But he wasn't really a huge part of the universe for the first few episodes. David made that character so amazing that when the comic book writers were working on Arrow, they were like, let's bring him in because we need more supporting characters and he's someone people know and love. Suddenly he's become part of the lore, so it does go the other way. Um, I love Diggle on Arrow, and I agree that, that this is definitely a case of the writer seeing something in an actor and expanding a role uh, in a beautiful way, and he's been worked into the whole side Suicide Squad situation um and no example is better as this week's crossover between flash and arrow uh when the arrow gang went uh to visit the flash gang uh what's the name of their city metro city is that what it's called where flash takes place oh uh central 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 city um and anyway diggle's reaction to how fast barry is on the flash was the best part I thought of that part of the episode uh, <laughs> in terms of 
And it, it did a really good job of showing the differences between these two shows, despite the fact that it started as a spinoff from Arrow. Arrow is so grounded in reality. Flash has all these quote-unquote metahumans. And so for Diggle to be like, you're so fast. That's not something we do. And for Flash to be like, oh, Oliver Queen kills people. That's not something we do. I mean, it, it was a very interesting way to let these two universes coincide, but also highlight their differences. But an interesting thing that one of the showrunners... <laughs> they, what? They, they made one Batman and they made one Superman. Wait, do you object to that? No, I'm just saying that's... It's been done, is what you're saying. It's a, it's a, good, way, it's a good way to deal with it, but I wouldn't go like... I, I think we don't need to talk about Flash vs. Arrow as much as we need to talk about how great Diggle is as a character. Because, like, Diggle was, like, maybe the only character besides Felicity that got through season one without a plot where I'm like, just just talk to your girlfriend, <laughs> which uh, was, like, the No, your dead, your dead brother's girlfriend, right? <laughs> well, I mean, yes, he did have a little bit of that. They, gave, they CW'd him up a little bit, but, like, his whole coming through uh, dead shot, uh, you know, killed is whatever, just somehow that that performance managed to get through with me much like even though felicity had dumb things to say she kind of got through the first season Mm -hmm. for me and now it's like diggle is the thing that doesn't necessarily give um arrow uh, the batman analog directly which is maybe one thing i have with arrow which i can't understand if it's like the smartest thing ever if it's annoying to me because yeah i'd love a batman tv show with actually batman on it thank you arrow but you know the arrow i I guess as a comic character he just sort of exists as a foil and uh, like just basically an archer and then like sort of a liberal foil to green green lantern and then sort of uh, lived in that sort of like justice way but it's like how did it take them like 30 years to get around to the Robin Hood idea for a guy that looks like Robin Hood? <laughs> and so I was, I, I can never have an emotional bead on how I feel about Arrow's Batmaning of, um, of Arrow, but. But at least was, Diggle is not Alfred. Right. And the, and the, that's what's great is he has like an equal. And that's what I liked in the first season yeah. is when they would sort of switch off the hood yeah, and um, be able to seamlessly um, become like, cause even though one, you know, one was in the military and one had island training, island uh, training, <laughs> they, they were both uh, sort of at the same point in becoming a hero. So th- that's great. The reason I don't want to really get it messed up with flash versus arrow is I'm okay feeling ambiguous about batmaning of arrow but supermaning flash is just so out there well <laughs> to me I just, in terms of where the two characters are i just think that arrow the the crossover those episodes individually were enjoyable to me but i think it really highlighted that arrow is such a, a much stronger show and that you know that's as it should be it's in its third season but i just i haven't enjoyed flash them as much as i ever liked arrow so uh even at the beginning when it was weaker so you know mm. I'm, I'm not writing flash off at all i just i i relate this might be an age thing i don't know i relate to the adult characters i like the science kids but barry himself and iris i am not that interested in so yeah i guess i'm also mainly talking about the arrow half of the crossover because the flash half was just uh, I think you you mentioned it. It was a good balance between the two, and I cannot, you know, I I giggled when I'm like they're actually doing like that 
there's a machine that makes me evil for a day, so two heroes have to fight each other <laughs> plot line. Yeah. Which is just like the perfect old school comic yeah. book reason for two things to two people to fight. And then great. it like ends in a tie. It's that that I really appreciated. Second one, you know, I guess was also I have arrow problems. Not problems, concerns. I'm watching you, Arrow. Okay. And before we move off this, though, we are going to just really quickly mention that Mark Hamill, the news that Mark Hamill has been cast uh, to reprise his role from the original Flash series as the trickster on Flash, which is a little nod they've done. And the actor playing Barry's father was the original actor who played Barry on the original Flash television show. That's right. Right? Yeah. So these are their cute little winking nods that they do. But the, all that being said, cute winking nods aside, I'm very excited to see Mark Hamill on a television show personally. So I don't care. It's going to be good. I don't care what the context. I just Big year it. for Mark Hamill next yeah. year. Yeah. Oh, also, to answer the question. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my favorite uh, transfer character is X-23, uh, the female Wolverine clone who uh, had a really interesting solo series. Uh, that I enjoyed, but is somewhat divisive as a character. She debuted in X-Men Evolution, the TV series. But probably the most famous character that crossed over like this is Jimmy Olsen, who's actually from the Superman radio show. Are you serious? Jimmy Olsen's not an original Superman character? No. He he was from the Adventures of Superman radio show Jeepers. in the 40s. That's interesting. And they, they brought him in. Okay. Well, I love that. Excellent. Um, all right. Our next question comes from john i clapped wrong but anyway deep in the heart of texas is what he wrote is where (laughs) he's from uh and he said my girlfriend and i went to go see big hero six and i was pleasantly entertained it harkened back to my totally platonic love for the iron giant a simple but strong story about a boy and his robot that being said i felt the superhero team-up aspect of big hero six lacked in its run-of-the-mill mediocrity and I kind of wish the whole movie had just revolved around Hero and Baymax. My opinions aside, I still like the idea of future animated superhero films skewed for the 10-year-old middle grader market. With Disney's acquisition of Marvel and Warner Brothers' hold on DC film rights, what kind of comic book storylines would you like to see adapted in the vein of Iron Giant and The Incredibles in terms of tone and target audience? All right, so my answers here are total cheats, uh, by the way. Uh, because I took more of the middle grader answer and less of the tone of Incredibles and Iron Giants uh, answer. But recently, a friend of mine was asking on Twitter for recommendations for an 11-year-old girl to read for comic books. And so I just experienced this great discussion about comic books for an 11-year-old girl. I don't really believe in terms of gender being that important when it comes to stories, but I do believe that it's important to have uh occasionally have a female protagonist for uh, a young lady to get into um and so i wanted to mention luke pearson's hilda books which i picked up because of this twitter conversation uh and they're beautiful lovely books and i think they could be an interesting film they're like a lighter Coraline, and i'm not just saying that because her hair is blue um (laughs) And yeah, so so that's something that I think could make a good cinematic universe. Uh, and then going back to sort of a more boyish thing, I'm really interested in in the Tintin sequel. I liked the original Tintin more than I thought I would actually. And 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 the further I get away from actually watching it, the more I look back fondly on it. So when last we heard, Peter Jackson is supposed to take over that um, when the Hobbit is finally in the ground. <laughs> so. <laughs> So that, Hashtag one last time. 
So that might happen, or Edgar Wright might take... I mean, there's a bunch of theories. It's up in the air. But Tintin 2 will eventually happen, I think. So I'm excited for that. And the last thing I wanted to say uh, are the Bone comics. Um, Mm, That's a good answer. uh, PJ Hogan, who directed the 2003 Peter Pan, is the most recent director attached to Bone, which has been trying to get off the ground for a million years. Uh, but it's a great series. It's a great comic book. Uh, and PJ Hogan, the 2003 Peter Pan is an almost perfect film. PJ Hogan should get more work of this sort of fantastical variety. So uh, I would be really excited to see that. Those are my answers. I'm bit, those are all really good answers in terms of like off, off hero, off Marvel. Exactly. Off yeah, exactly. I cheated. So, Oh no, that that's good. I think was that was that actually the question? Did, am I the one that actually cheated? Well, no, Disney's he said acquisition. Oh no, okay, no, yeah, no. okay, good. So okay, <laughs> the Big Hero Six uh, like uh, evolution was like that of the Disney animation process, or which is really any animation process. And now that you know Pixar's this huge public hit, you hear about it all the time, where they just sort of like toss out a movie if it doesn't work, and just like find the one scene that does work and build a whole new movie out of that. So the idea that we have basically a Calvin and Hobbes and Baymax and Hero is, you know, the core of this movie. And then they put all the Marvel sprinkles on top of it, as well as an amazing designed world uh, around it. And sort of, I guess it has nothing to do with the comics, but it makes a really good movie for this particular audience. I think that they would benefit from doing that with something like The Runaways, the Marvel property, uh, where they're a whole bunch of kids and they're hanging out uh, because their parents have these stupid get togethers every once in a while and they spy on their parents and they realize their parents are like a super villain group and control Los Angeles. And they have an internal debate about whether or not they should do anything about it, but they're teenagers. So of course they kind of hate their parents anyway. So they realize that they are sort of uh, heirs to the powers of their family and become this superhero team called the Runaways, sort of face off against their parents. Um, I think they were going to make a movie about that uh, with uh, the director Peter Solier, who made Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist and Raising Victor Vargas, uh, but that was uh, pre-Phase 1, and uh, now Marvel apparently doesn't have any plans for the Runaways. They still have the script from that outing. But I think, like, if you're not going to get to it for, you know, a long time because you're going to go in the inhuman space direction, this is a movie that could be reworked through the Disney animation process to become, like, Kid Avengers, which is what Big Hero 6 was reaching for but didn't have the dynamics to do. If you could use these characters and have, like, a real reason for them to team up that isn't, you know, some weird masked samurai techno nonsense... (laughs) I think it I think it would really work and benefit there. Well, is is Runaways I haven't read Runaways even though I am a Brian Kavon fangirl, but is Runaways somewhere in between Big Hero Six and Avengers? Like is it more of a Hunger Games skewed teen property or is it is it young enough for for the big Hero Six crowd? It has um elements that could go either way. So they're teenagers, so they have the normal teenage problems that could be amplified older or younger depending on how you want to deal with it but just like the elements of the story make it seem like it'd be good for this like one girl's superpower is she 
uh, has a telekinetic connection to this raptor that was like genetically engineered off another planet or something. I'm listening. So she's like this tiny girl that can talk with her mind with a raptor and they run away and they find like this, I think it's like a caved in underground library or something. So it's not like complete realism commitment. It's like there's a lot of these fantastical elements and it's like it's at least in the first trade paperback there isn't like huge stakes where like you know somebody gets killed like uncle ben even in spider-man so i'm sure they could find the the crux for this and just use the cool things about the characters to build up a nice little animated film cool but now i now i talk myself into wanting it more and it's probably not going to happen uh or maybe you should be the one to make it happen dave maybe be be the animated film you want to see in the world (laughs) I also, I really want to, I really hope they don't turn Peanuts into the Smurfs because that animated movie style looks kind of interesting. Uh, but I think it's going to be kitted out like nobody's business. Um, all right. So this last question comes from me. Uh, this is the way to shoehorn in the rest of trade news that we want to talk about, uh, which is me asking Dave, uh, which of the following shows in development are you most excited about and why? So I'm going to run it down real quick. First of all, we've got Supergirl going for CBS. Uh, we already knew about this, but they've got some casting ideas floating around. So we have a better sense of what they're going for. And the top choice on their list is an actress from who was on the Vampire Diaries and now the originals. So it feels like they're kind of going for a CW vibe, maybe trying to bite off from the Arrow Flash dynamic. What's interesting to me, though, this is, correct me if I'm wrong, this is CBS's first superhero property of this new superhero age the new era yeah i believe so yeah yeah so it's interesting that i mean cbs owns the cw so it makes sense to me that that's the direction they would go in but cbs is so known for skewing older that it's interesting that they're kind of this is the direction they want to go in so that's one bit of news well they picked the superhero in the miniskirt so yeah exactly i mean but isn't that interesting (laughs) <laughs> Isn't it interesting that Supergirl is going to be on CBS and not the CW? I, a, a little bit. It, it feels almost like the CW's like, we're barely getting away with couching all audiences in man-led shows as it is. Like, someone else is going to have to try to please everybody with a female-led show. There you go. That's a good point. Um Speaking of female-led shows, we now have officially have our Jessica Jones and Kristen Ritter of Breaking Bad, Don't Trust to Be in Apartment 23, and Veronica Mars' fame. I am hugely excited for this. I love this actress. Uh, I've talked elsewhere about how uh, I am not hugely familiar with the Alias comic book, uh, which is what uh, Jessica Jones' uh, series is called, but I my concept of her has always been a little sturdier than Kristen Ritter, and I don't really want to get into body shaming, but I think personality-wise, she's a very interesting fit, and I will be interested to see how they work the physicality in uh, as well. And it looks like uh, an actor from The Good Wife who plays Lamont Bishop, who's fantastic and whose name I did not write down, is the final candidate for Luke Cage. So that's really interesting news. So those things are rolling along. We also have news about the Krypton TV show on (laughs) sci-fi, which is like as much of a punchline as Jai Courtney in my uh, estimation. Uh, But this is going to deal with uh, Kal-El's grandfather, not Jor-El, Jor-El's father. 
Uh, and so it's going to be on on Sci-Fi Network. And then the last thing is the Teen Titans TV show, uh, which is a go for TNT. And this will feature uh, Nightwing, who is sort of a Robin slash hybrid Batman figure, and Cyborg, uh, who is you know, in the DC universe, uh, movie universe already. That's a lot to throw at you, Dave, but I was just interested in your thoughts, concerns, yeah. comments. Uh, all right. Supergirl seems really interesting. Um, I guess because it's coming from the CW, CBS people, it won't uh, be connected to the WDC verse. But if you need to sell it, there was that open pod in Man of Steel that was never explained. So hey, Supergirl, there you got. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it'll be good. I don't see that happening. Supergirl seems like a weird character to try to get right, but you know. I mean, I'm going I for even it. have some affection for the movie from what it was the early '80s, right? Yes. I have fond memories I, of that movie as a child, but maybe as an adult, I wouldn't uh, like it. But. I guess of the tones we've seen of the DC TV shows, I don't want to see a Supergirl in those tones. I would actually like to see Supergirl like try for something like what Gotham should have done and just like allow itself to be camp and be a CBS camp superhero show. But one of those is going to have to stick at some point because we're going to need a release of all this like grit and Ultron and crap. So, like, I, I keep feeling like 66 Batman wasn't, uh, you know, success out of the blue for no reason. At some point, that's got to come back around. It's just we have to forget where Joel Schumacher touched us and it, it was on the nipple. <laughs> um, <laughs> Kristen Ritter, Jessica Jones, ditto with all your physicality uh, concerns. Uh, I do also feel weird about saying that, uh, but hey, I also said weird they cast the fat guy for Guardians of the Galaxy, and they, he turned that right around. So who knows what Kristen Ritter will end up looking like um, or doing or what powers she'll have at the beginning and lose. I think Jessica Jones loses her powers. Anyway, I'm going to have to reread Alias and a whole bunch of Luke Cage. That guy, that guy seems fine. <laughs> I don't I don't have anything to add there. I don't watch The Good Wife, so hey. Uh Krypton on Sci-Fi. David Goyer's involved. Pretty sure I'm not going to like it. I'm not sure why they're like shying away from doing expensive superheroes, but like the place with dragons and penis rocket prisons <laughs> is like the thing that is going to come to television. <laughs> so uh, all you like dragon designers out there who went to college Get to ready. you know cuz you saw Avatar yeah, it's <laughs> your time's coming. It's finally cashed in. <laughs> Sci-fi needs some cheap dragons because if we remember anything from Man of Steel, David Goyer thinks there were dragons on Krypton. Oh my god! Okay, <clears throat> and and those little like dragons. pinhead things for how they talked, communicated. Do you remember that part? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would expect that to get. Oh no! You know what? I bet that. I bet that affects cheaps now. Is cheap now, so maybe they will keep that around. Anyway, Teen Titans, um, I mean, uh, this one c- could could be good. I'm also curious as to how much it's going to intersect with the, the TV series or the movie series going on um, uh, because uh, Cyborg, like you said, is going to be already pre-existing and Nightwing existing presupposes a whole bunch of Batman stuff happening, uh, which we might be talking about right about now. Okay. So that's it for our that's our weird tease into the advanced section because uh, I've got 
I've plucked something that Dave avoided talking about earlier to talk about in the advanced section. So if you want to hear about that, stick around. Um, if not, thanks so much for listening. We will see you next week. Shoot us an email, bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com if you have any corrections, comments, or concerns. Thanks so much, muggles. Bye. All right. So, so originally, well, no, no, I just want to say quickly, originally we weren't even going to have an advanced section this week, but Dave did such a beautiful job of tiptoeing around this bit of spoiler that has come out. Uh, and I, just because I read it, I knew what he was tiptoeing around. So anyway, Dave, uh, go for it. Oh, uh, that uh, Commissioner Gordon is apparently dead in Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice, um, which is interesting. Uh and then, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. This so when you Superman. said when you said Joker is in prison, the Joker is in prison because he killed Gordon. That's a pos. So the reason that rumor came about is because a previous rumor about the Joker he gets name dropped in Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice is the rumor was the Joker exists already and Superman knows about him, and then today's rumor that Gordon is dead is kind of getting put together with that and the idea that Joker's going to be in Suicide Squad, which means he's already imprisoned because Suicide Squad, he has to get let out with the neck bomb. Or he could be the villain in Suicide Squad, or we also don't know Lex Luthor's place because they don't want to give away what happens to him at the end of the movie. So it's this whole, like, entering in the middle of the storyline thing that I was talking about because, like, if Nightwing exists, then there might have been a second Robin and if there was a second Robin, then Joker might have also killed that second Robin already um, because that's, you know, Nightwing's the first Robin, and then he grows up and becomes Nightwing and his own little Batman. He learns all the Batman lessons, and they didn't need him anymore, so he had to become his own Batman. Well, you're saying the second Robin, are you referring to the rumored Jenna Malone character? Oh, no, I'm talking about the comics character, oh. the second Robin. Oh, do you not know what happened to the second Robin? He super die. Uh, yeah, so uh, they had a like a write-in competition about which character was going to die at the end of this arc, and it ended up being Robin. That's so, so sad. Joker beat the second Robin to death oh, with God. like a crowbar because the characters like hated him so much, and then everybody sort of like freaked out at how like that all happened, and so the character, the beat to death character, ended up like coming back in like a really amazing storyline that was adapted into an animated movie. But yeah, so the one of Batman's core storylines is that there's he he let the Joker kill one of his Robins, and that's why he is, allows himself to amp the Joker up to the next level. The other thing that happens uh, with Batman and the Joker that allows Batman to get more mad at the Joker is he shoots Barbara Gordon, shatters her spine, and takes her from her being Batgirl yeah. to Oracle. Yeah. So that opens that up all of a sudden because if you know Gordon's dead, uh, like why would he even shoot Barbara Gordon? And, like only because she's Batgirl, or like why would Barbara Gordon be? Oh, it's just like this. Barbara Gordon is isn't nodded. isn't in Batman versus Superman, is she? No. Okay. None of the Bat family that I know. I mean, there's been heavy rumors that there's going to be a Nightwing, uh, but no, as far as I know, there's no Bat family in there, which is just, it's so much story to skip and so much story that in the comics has been very popular that you got to think that they're setting up the pieces for something. Like, it's going to be so long before Ben Affleck gets a solo movie. Maybe they're just content with like treating their pollinating their universe with a whole bunch of spin-offs 
and then slowly do their Avengers build so that, that when we're finally ready for another solo Batman film, that's what we've all been building to because they know we love Batman so much. Interesting. Now, now that I know this, that Joker beat one of the Robins to death, and I know it's not the Lady Robin, but I'm just saying, knowing that Zach, my worst fear is that Jenna Malone is going to die because of Jared Leto somehow and that because that's so Zack Snyder anyway that's that's my new worst fear that has no basis in reality so (laughs) so we can just go and enjoy and if Jenna Malone does not get beat to death then we can be like hey good job Zack Snyder right well if you want to you know put Lady Robin and uh her comics history as uh I don't know, canon, then uh, you'd probably be happy to hear that Frank Miller and Scott Snyder are teaming up for a third Dark Knight book that is rumored to only follow Lady Robin as she gets old after Batman's long been dead and she's become the person teaching the bat lessons, the gritty, gritty bat lessons. So you're saying saying you would be happy to hear, Joanna, because I am always harping on about strong lady figures in, in, in stories? Well, because she outlasts the Batman. So if any Robin's going to get beat to death, it's probably not the one that can still be a continuing intellectual property, female, whatnot. I love Jenna Malone, so I'm all for her eventually getting her own movie. Why not? Why not? (laughs) DC's out of control, so we'll see what they do. Okay. Anything else we want to talk about? Whoa, man. I think we got it all in, man. I think we did it. Oh, oh. Uh, Al Pacino talked to Marvel oh, yeah. and I really want him to be the villain in Doctor Strange because Cumberbatch v. Pacino is like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's like overacting or <laughs> underacting or like they meet each other in the middle. It's, oh, yeah, it's they would, be... they would chew the scenery like Lady and the Tramp and then like meet in the middle of the spaghetti strand of the scenery that they chewed. It would be yeah, beautiful. Some sort of, uh, infinity gem vortex. <laughs> That's so, yelling at each other. That's so interesting. I mean, I did know that he met uh, with head of Marvel, but I didn't know if there was a particular villain people had in mind. So, oh, I mean, I think that uh, there's a couple. I would love him to be like the ancient one or something. Uh, Morla or whatnot. Sorry, just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the ancient one, and the other one that I really like is someone said Peter Quill's dad because they talk up how much he's an what? asshole, and it's like. Seeing a like spaceman Al Pacino asshole would be space, funny. Space Pacino asshole is all I want in the world. Spacino asshole. <laughs> uh, oh, you guys. All right. Anything else? No, no. I think that's it. <laughs> Dave, where can the people find your work on the internet this week? Uh, you could find me on Twitter at DA7E and writing about superhero movie news, Star Wars at latino-review.com. My name is Joanna Robinson. You can find me most days on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. And I am wrapping up a Legend of Korra podcast with Dave. But I imagine if you listen to this, you probably already listened to that. Uh, if not, get on watching Legend of Korra and catch up in time for us to finish that out. Thanks for listening. Once again, you can send your questions to bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. Peace out. I'm not going to usually end with peace out, but I did today. Peace, so. peace out. <laughs> I did today. So. Don't feed your mogwas after midnight. <laughs> peace out. Peace <laughs> out.